0: Welcome back to The Big Run with me, your host, Danny Easton. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for all of your kind words and support as this podcast continues to grow. I really, really appreciate it and it's really exciting and I'm really excited to see where we can go. And if you're up for joining me on this journey, then subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts from to be the first to hear when the next episode launches. And follow us on Twitter at The Big Run Pod or on Instagram at The Big Run Podcast for exclusive teases of forthcoming guests. We've got some humdingers. Today's guest is certainly one of them. He's another podcaster, but fear not, we will not be talking about microphones. No, we're going to be talking about him completing the six marathon majors and bringing his own marathon time down from 4.55 to sub three. He's a leading source of running wisdom and a real inspiration to this own podcast, and I'm delighted to have him on as a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Marcus Brown. So Marcus, thank you so much for coming on the big run. Um really, really excited to to have you on the show and to to get stuck into to your journey and and everything about you because yeah, big fans and, and big devourers of your own podcast. Um and slightly intimidated interviewing another podcast host as well. Um but yeah, really excited to have you on. But I'd love to start with with the beginning of your journey, where it where it clicked for you and you felt that you were gonna Sort of continue and pursue running to its fullest extent. Was there was there a specific memory or moment that you can draw on?
1: Hi, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. And actually, it's really nice to be someone asking me the questions rather than me having to ask the questions because it's sometimes it can be quite challenging as well to, to you know get at all the research. Sometimes I don't think people realise no the oh, amount of work that goes yeah. into it
0: yeah absolutely i think that's actually before you answer i think that's actually important for people to realize there is a lot of due diligence and prep that goes in prior to sitting down with uh with our with our guests and contributors so yeah i think it's good to throw a little bit of light on that because it is it is a fair old bit of work but uh you're sorry you you carry on
1: Yeah, i think sometimes it's like you need a little bit more than banter sometimes people say I oh, just two mates just chatting <laughs> sometimes you need a little bit more than that sometimes
0: <laughs> absolutely I, and that's why i think you know that's why i think you're so good at, at what you do i think because there is and and i'm very much learning this at the moment is there's a real skill in in being a host and and drawing stuff out of out of your guest and and reading that person who uh, most of the time you are you're having that one moment with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like you've got a relationship to lean back on. It's like, okay, I've got an hour or 90 minutes or whatever it is with this individual who I have a, 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 an idea of who they are through Google or through reading yep. about them, but I've never met them in real life. And I've, I've kind of got to tease out something resembling a natural conversation. It's, uh, it can be quite nerve wracking.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons for me from podcasting is just listening in our day-to-day lives. We think we're listening, but we're really not. And in a podcast, I just try to listen as much as I as I can because the answers are generally in what they say. And that's why I try to follow rather than, you know, come at it with, like, different, like, you know perspectives anyhow i'm going down a, a podcast no no I think gonna...
0: <laughs> love it no i love a tangent we can go a bit meta for a little bit come on oh
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we, we could go really deeper to the rabbit hole but i'm just mindful of just uh, answer your, your original question which was you know how do i get into running so for me i wasn't really into running you know as a kid in terms of you know joining a running club or cross country or anything like that i played football and that's probably about it and a little bit of rugby and you know other sports as well but i went to university enjoyed life a little bit too much a friend came back and was like you know you should do this running thing i was like why the hell would anyone run it just makes no sense because i do a half marathon I was like there's no way you get me to run 13.1 miles so how about a 10k i was like oh, okay that seems you know you know manageable but then my first run <laughs> was a rude awakening i couldn't even run like several meters without feeling like i was going to die <laughs> so, uh <laughs> training was rough at the beginning and you know really uncomfortable and even in that sort of stage I didn't have a running watch I was running in my football kit and you know my regular trainers and it wasn't until I completed my first 10k was when I actually felt you know like a runner because I felt like no one could take it away from you it's something you've done in your own steam and even though you had the doubts in the training you had the doubts during the race You've completed it. And yeah, it was an amazing feeling. And that was the thing, the feeling that sort of kickstarted, you know, my running journey and the lessons that I've learned from there.
0: And that uh, going from a place of thinking, why the hell would anyone run to having that sense of ownership? I'm curious as to why prior to that moment, where that perception of yours came from, why, why did you sort of think it was, it was a bizarre thing for, for anyone to run?
1: That's a really good question. I think it was just my own perceptions of running. And you you know you take on these things from your environment, and it wasn't wasn't a part of something I had growing up, so mm. running just seemed like something for other people. It wasn't something for me, I just you know you did football, and that was it and I saw these people running long distances and you just thinking why what are they getting from it? It just seemed so boring, it seemed so pointless, but actually when you get into it, you realize there's actually a lot into it, but I just wasn't exposed to it, and that was just my own naivety really of just not really appreciating it but you don't know what you don't know unfortunately mm. that's just life
0: it is interesting that first experience because we had um, kieran olga on man um, v miles and we were talking about he had a similar perspective of like loathing it in, in in school and like doing football training and when the balls were taken away he knew that it was time to do running and that the prospect of that was was terrifying and i think there's a lot to be said about what first encounters are at a younger age with with the sport and how that can shape your kind of perspective of it i was wondering whether you think there's things that can be done maybe at like a grassroots level that can can shape people's experience because it feels like when people do allow it to come into their lives not to get too sort of biblical about it it can really have a a profound effect on, on so many levels so i wonder whether there is something can be there is something that could be done at that sort of grassroots young level that can really sort of switch people on at an earlier age
1: yeah i think for me when i think back to it i think running was a form of punishment wasn't it it was the thing that you did laps when you did something wrong for pe or you had to do it or something else it was never really enjoyable it was was always the bolt onto something else Mm. so i think as for kids and young people, I think making things enjoyable and not putting too much pressure on it would be the start. So that's where I would sort of get, you know, running in, in that perspective, especially when I'm thinking about my kids or, you know, mm. other people thinking about getting their kids involved. You've got to make it fun. You can't be like, we're going to go out and do, you know, five-mile run and you've got to run on this pace. You know, you've got to do <laughs> this. this way because No one will enjoy it.
0: <laughs> yeah, imagine. Right. Okay. It's 15, 400 repeats, guys. Okay. Come on. We've got to hit these yeah. paces. Yeah. I think it is about the sense finding that that sense of adventure because it's so true what you say like my exactly the same experiences of like cross country as a form of punishment in in secondary school or yeah but getting told to run laps for making for making an, a, a mistake and i think it is about finding yeah that sense of discovery of and of making the run an event um, and in terms of events for you i mean you've you've done you've done the majors like those are some big events when we talk about running and it was a a long journey from from 2010 to to 2018 like and it feels like a hard question to try and ask you to encapsulate that experience but were there moments along the way when you're progressing around the world that that really have that you find real significance that you often reflect back on
1: yeah I mean it's a funny one because when you think about where you were at the time to where you are now you can obviously going to give different answers and different reflections and sometimes it's quite hard to go between those places because you know we we know we change as people, but it's hard to sort of pick one defining event. You know, I think they all they all had a, you know a significant place in where I am today. I mean, me doing my first London and four fifty five, and I made every rookie mistake. I didn't have fueling and board. I ran too quickly in the first few miles. I was dodging and weaving, and I just blew up spectacularly. And I was just walking, running from about eight miles onwards. And I just, I just hated it. I was just, it was just suffering. But it was this more induced suffering. I <laughs> was like a pity party for one, all the way to the finish. I remember seeing my wife, round like, you know, Canary Wharf, and just thinking, like, like this is ridiculous. I'm like, I hate running. I want to stop. And she's like, No, you've, you've got to finish this. You have got to start it. Hmm. You started it, so you're gonna finish it. So I was like, Okay, We gradually carried on the pity party to the end. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then after, was like, oh, I hate running. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't do this anymore. And I'd end up doing Berlin later that year. And I ran, I think, 404. So it took a bit of time off. I was hoping to break sub four. And I remember that race when the the sub four, you know, pacing teams went past me. I think mile 22, 24. And it just broke me, man. It just broke me. Mm. And afterwards, I just hated running. I just didn't run for a couple of years. Because, I mean, we could go into it. I mean, there's so much into it. But I was using running because I thought, you like, if you did this, then you would automatically get this. But running isn't like that, you know, running doesn't owe you anything. And running exposes your weaknesses in the worst way. And for those races, it did. And at the time, I just didn't appreciate it because I was exposed and it feels embarrassing and it feels like it's down to you. But, you know, those experiences helped me be in a position to be able to run the 256 Marathon in Dorney last year. You know, if I didn't have those those failures, perceived failures, then I would not be the runner that I am today. And I'm not saying that, that journey has ended, but, like, i'm grateful for those lessons so it's hard to sort of pick one Mm. particular thing i mean there's so many races i mean i could talk to you about boston as well and that was the last the the majors and the weather was just biblically terrible that's all i can say (laughs) but you've got you've gone out there you've flown out there you're thinking this is the last of the six and i've got to do it and i had like a knee issue and i and i was just trying to manage my knee you know a couple of weeks before and so my training reduced and i got to halfway and it started playing up and then it, you know you just kind of get into the finish so you've got your knee to deal with that slight knee issue and then you're in torrential rain and the wind and it's freezing cold and your hands are freezing and it's like you're not really taking a border like what's happening in the crowd because you're just in that moment and you know you just kind of just like one foot in front of the other then you kind of cross the line it's like you've stepped out of trance and you're just like, man, what the hell's happened? You know, I remember speaking to the Abbotts team for this video, and they asked me what I'd achieved that day. What did I do? And it really took me back to the person that, you know, did 4:55 and thought, oh man, you're a, you're a loser. You can't do this. Like, what are you doing?" Uh, to think, actually, you know, there's actually something in me that I kind of didn't really appreciate. And I, I know people say, you know, running saved my life, but you know, running, you know, for me has <laughs> taught me so much. Mm. it's been an amazing teacher just not in the highlights but in the in the in the really challenging moments
0: and what strikes me with your response there is like obviously your time's improved and your fitness improved and you know i'm sure you could attribute that to, to training and working with the coach and and getting into those the the minutiae of it but what also strikes me is how your mental attitude and, and approach to it seems to have improved and, and, and strengthened as well and the kind of perspective I think that you have that's one thing that was always struck me when you interview other people is the is the kind of the wisdom that you have about it and was that something during that journey um from from London to to Boston that you were also actively working on and is it something that you still work on that sort of mental fortitude
1: yeah I think you know your mental side it's like your physical side it's like brushing your teeth I mean, you mean you've got to brush your teeth every day I mean <laughs> it's not something you can just give up and just be like I've arrived at a place now I'm done it's always something that you're working at and yeah when I started I was in a different place mentally I was expecting certain things you know not really focusing on what I could control I was just kind of more than I could have would have should have expecting too much and you know you go through these things like I said the marathon exposes you in the worst way and I've you know I went through you know quite a few knocks in the marathon itself and that is a real good teacher if you let it be a teacher and you know for me it's i wish i could just say i picked up a book and i was just like then i became like all zen, and <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't like that I was just like run a race fall over run a race fall over learn you know and just keep coming back and keep coming back so i mean all these experiences have basically made me more present i think it's not that you're you you, you get like some sort of badass type thing like i can deal with anything it's just more like you know whatever happens I can take a breath I can pause and I can make the best next step and I think Boston for me was one of those realizations that actually no matter how bad the weather is no matter how bad things are externally you've got so much in you it, you can just take a moment just to make the best decision for that that time and and then that you know Moves into your life and then that moves into your running, and, and they kind of bounce back and forth between, you know, because there's, there's no real sort of difference between, you know, those kind of things. And yeah, I, I would say it's just more I've learned from the actual doing and the falling over and embracing the falling over and embracing just, you know, we can't actually control a lot of things, but actually just trying to focus on how I react to it. And I think that's basically helped me a lot. Whereas at the beginning, I was just, like unmovable and you know if you're not prepared to flex and bend then the marathon will run you over
0: yeah it will seek you out won't it especially those sort of yeah. last four miles any chink in the armor will be hugely exposed yeah and i think it's also really interesting here you talk then as well like because there's 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 something tantalizing with, with the running content that's put out on social media when you see, you know, uh, a compare and contrast and like, four, you know, 455 down to sub three. And it's such a desirable thing for people to want to know what the answer is. And I think you just kind of underlining there that it's more about the journey and your own experiences with it rather than a kind of catch all approach. like. Are you mindful of that with, with your with your following and with people who kind of look up to you to, to really underline that, that I will share advice, but the, the experience is always going to be based on the individual?
1: Yeah, sometimes people want the secret. What's the secret workout? There is no secret. There is no perfect workout. It's just doing the work and putting yourself in a position where it's scary because you might not achieve something, but you, you, you go for it anyways. And I wish it was an easy answer, but it's not. It's re- <laughs> it's just being in a place of discomfort. I I don't want don't to really make it seem like you know discomfort in terms of like you know forcing yourself if you've got a broken leg or something like that. That's just ridiculous. It's just more just mentally uncomfortable as well as alongside the physical discomfort.
0: Mm, and making peace with that, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's no there's no point in me saying it's this specific workout that got me from here to there. They all counted, and but it was a consistency. But you know. I, I, I wish there was a secret answer, but it's not. I mean, some people can look at other people and think, oh, you know, that person's really talented or, you know, they've got this or they've got that. It's just like, no, don't look what other people have got. Just look at what you've got. And I just think now, I think, imagine if I would have quit after a 4.55, I would have never have known what I could have done here. And that's just applicable in life. Like, sometimes you don't really appreciate things until you've actually had to really work and graph for it. If, mm-hmm. if I just got a sub three straight away, I would not appreciate as much as I do now. Mm -hmm. So even when I finished Dorney, like I've still got such a massive sense of satisfaction. I've not had that kind of dip of like, oh, what's next? I mean, I know what next goal is, but like, I know what it's taken to get to that stage. So like, there's nothing that can sort of take it away from me.
0: And let's talk about the sub three thing, because yeah. that was that was a target for yours for, for a long time. And yeah, 4th of October last year, Dawny, you finally broke that barrier. And I'm not going to ask you, what was the specific workout that got you there? But that journey and the sub three thing, because it is such a cornerstone. It's something I'm very much aiming for at the moment. 310, desperately trying to bring that down to, to sub three. W- what is it about that you think that holds so much appeal to, to so many people who, who would sort of... Describe themselves as non-elite yet competitive runners.
1: It's a weird one. I think the sub-three is—it's an arbitrary number, really. And when we get into running, we get told these certain numbers. You know, sub-twenty is good for you know, you know, a five k. sub 40 is good for a ten k. And then you're like, okay, what's next? And then you move to know sub-one thirty-four for for an amateur runner. We're talking about not the elite sort of side. And then you move up to marathon. And it's like the golden ticket is like if you break sub-three, then (laughs) <laughs> then you will arrive
0: dreams will come true yeah <laughs> you,
1: you don't arrive it's just like <laughs> <laughs> it's like passing your driving test and it's like okay now you can like drive and you know you could drive a bit more you know it's like becoming a black belt in karate or something it's like you don't you can't just go and take up the, the whole world because you're a black <laughs> belt do you know what I
0: mean? <laughs> I love it, you yeah. can instantly win all fights straight away as soon as you get your black belt. <laughs> exactly, you know. And it's funny because
1: like now I'm, I'm sitting back to the other side and you sort of think actually I was really dictated by an arbitrary number that I'm not quite sure I really truly cared about, if that makes sense. So now I've got rid of that barrier, I can almost feel like what what does the best what does my best look like? And now that's do you know what I mean? I can now try and move forward from there and whilst time is important to a certain degree now that's out of the way i feel like i can actually just move towards what does my best marathon look like mm. and that's what that sort drives me and i think sometimes the sub 3 can actually be, become a and it did for me because sometimes you can actually be better than that but you're just limiting yourself to a certain frame of mind that you know it's it's a difficult one sometimes you can overstretch where your fitness is but sometimes you can limit yourself by staying within, you know, when they can space when you, your potential is actually further. So it's about trying to be mindful of, you know, your time, but also just be mindful of where you can actually go in the future.
0: And if there was, if you did have access to a time traveling machine, if you could sit down with yourself prior to breaking that sub three barrier, you know, when you had, you came so close in, in Manchester and, and it kind of it didn't quite work out. Um, would there be one thing that you would like grab yourself by the shoulders and tell yourself now, having been on the other side of, of breaking that barrier? It's
1: almost, Well, I'd say relax, but that I've got to give some context to that. So when I ran Manchester, I had a really good training block, but I was so nervous. I was so tense, which is a, a normal thing. And then I got food poisoning and, you know, it kind of went a bit south from there. And I threw up on the, the finish line. There's, and I've got a video up online so you can see that if you want to see that as well <laughs> and then after I'll that I had yeah I'll it below <laughs> <laughs> uh then yeah I went to Berlin and then you know I was didn't have a great training block because I had some stuff happening in personal life and then I went to New York and I... then I was just really amped up from Berlin I was like I should be good doing this and I think through all those sort of things I, I just wasn't really on the right rhythm for where i needed to be i was either under or too much and then when i was training for dorney i remember in the weeks before you know i had some really good training runs i was hitting the sessions and i was thinking actually i can i can do this whereas before i didn't really feel that it i could do it i felt like it was close but it was for further away and not in an arrogant way of like oh, i've got this i'm just going to turn up and i'm just going to run sub mm. three but I just knew that I could at least get to a certain stage and hold a certain pace and then even if I blew up spectacularly I knew I could still try and force a bit to, towards the sub 3 so I feel yeah I think the training helped and just feeling kind of relaxed and just it sounds it sounds ridiculous but you just have to kind of let it happen sort of thing i I Mm -hmm. was just trying to overthink it
0: and in amongst all this as well because it's also important to to give a bit of context that you know you're you're married you've got kids as well there's a family sort of revolving around all of this and running through all of that and that period of doing the majors and getting to your sub three like how did you manage that that balance like what's that negotiation like when you're trying to smash these goals but also be present as as a, as a dad and as a husband.
1: Yeah, it's tough. So last year we obviously had the start of the Corona virus. So we're in lockdown, that's a degree of uncertainty. My second child was born. So the time I ran Dorney, he must've been about seven months. So, you know, sleep was, wasn't consistent as well. So you've got those pressures as well. And then you're, you know, you've got work pressures, home pressures and all these kind of things juggling and happening. But I think sometimes when you're in a situation, you just just do the best that you can and as a parent there are kind of no days off really you just have to do the best that you can so you just I think that's 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 what I sort of take forward and rather than complaining about what isn't ideal or whatever just make the best of it and I just thought well <laughs> I've had so many other things happen before with the math and, and things in life I just know that I can I can move forward and I can just try and make the best next step and like I said from Boston, like I said, go back to that. I always feel like that was the probably the a massive turning point where I actually started to trust myself a lot more and be like, actually, you know, you've got a lot more in you than than you give yourself credit for. And as a period of time, it's it's, you know, you get a bit more relaxed and a bit more relaxed. And I mean, I don't want to say relaxed in terms of the sense of like you're just horizontal, you just like you don't care. I mean, Mm. you still get a degree of nerves and you still care when you get to race day. That's just normal. If you didn't, I mean, that'd be kind of probably you know, something to, to look at but I mean I was relaxed but I could, could control the nerves at the time if that makes sense but the race itself wasn't plain sailing as well you know I had some great runs my training runs I was experimenting my gels and I got my nutrition dialed down it was great and then I get to the race and the weather is crap it's just like Boston all over again and you're just thinking man oh, man this is not this is not <laughs> it should not be happening this way then you've got to deal with that it's like okay cool just forget that like i'm here to do what i need to do just three hours just switch off do you know what i mean just do what you need to do for three hours and then you can complain (laughs) you've done too much you know you've given up too much family time you know you've given away time from helping being at home to, to train so you need to get this done there's no excuses so you give yourself a real talking to then the race goes ahead you're doing well and then you know i had some issues with nutrition as well like mile 14 i started feeling really sick mm. and those experiences from manchester really helped me in in this race because i could then learn to balance of find the balance between taking my gels but not pushing too hard that i was going to be sick but just pushing enough that i could still hold a, d- a decent pace now that sounds really weird to someone not running thinking why would you push if you feel sick but <laughs> it's just the irrational mind of a runner really just like i'm here i'm I'm here to do this so unless something catastrophic happens and i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna complete my goal and it was you know from my 14 onwards it was a very uncomfortable place to be and i, I wish it was this procession well you know i was like high-fiving people and all that kind of stuff and people were like you look so strong but in my head i was feeling it was balancing you know between the weather feeling sick and just all these other things so it wasn't straightforward but you know all the experiences from like when i go back to london if i didn't have those experiences and to learn through them. I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done recently. So um, that's why I'm so grateful for all those experiences I've had.
0: Having been, I ran the virtual London on the 4th of October and I can absolutely (laughs) confirm uh, Marcus's depiction of the weather and we cannot stress enough how absolutely horrendous the wind and the rain was on that day. It was abhorrent, like truly, truly awful. And that's also what's so... So powerful as well as when you see, and you must have experienced that at Dorney, when you see everyone lining up at the start line, who've, you know, had their own collective journeys to get to that point, such as yourself, who are, you know, staring down the barrel of, of horrendous weather conditions, yet continuing to go on and, and push through is... Do you think that as well is is part of the energy that you absorb when, when you were doing that race on that day? Are, are you kind of, as well as like focusing on your own individual goal, is there collective energy within the race that also helps and motivates you?
1: Yeah, totally. Usually in the race, you'd get your energy from the crowds and that kind of stuff. And, and as runners, we don't really give ourselves kind of like that extra sort of cheer and sort of praise and that support because we're, you know, we're doing our own things, but in Dorney, because it was lats, we all knew what we were going through, and I've got a mate there, John Hillen, and he was running ahead of me. He, I think, he ran sub two forty on the day, and I remember every time we saw each other, he would give me like a, a thumbs up, keep going, keep going, keep going, Marcus, because he was quite fortunate on one hand. He found a group that he could sort of, you know, they could tuck in together and they could go. But for me, when I was running it, because you're running it in like you know, um, in waves, I didn't have anyone. It sounds, sounds a bit harsh to say this, uh, like I'm getting my little violin out, but there was no one that I was running. I wasn't really running the race with anyone else. Do you know what I mean? I was just basically in my own little, this it's like a time trial. Imagine running 26.2 miles, a bit longer, by yourself in the wind and rain, just going around laps. And, you know, seeing people like John and some other people, we would always encourage each other when we saw each other. And that was so powerful. And it's funny enough, you don't really pay attention to that during like when races were, I guess, quote unquote normal pre-covid but yeah i mean the, the the other runners you know the the stewards were really amazing uh they were just incredible and it just sort of stripped running back to its rear really sort of um basics it's, and uh it was, it was amazing amazing to to witness really
0: and you talk about your your friend there going for for sub 240 and i know that's that's a target in in your sights now. Go going forward. Yeah. Um, so what what are your what are your kind of what's the kind of groundwork that you're laying at the moment? I know at the minute you're kind of dealing with a bit of a, a bit of a niggle, a bit of an in injury. But um, are are there specific things off the back of Dorney that you're kind of laying down now that you're actively working on?
1: It's funny because you had a guest on Andy Rayner, and it's funny enough because we've got different coaches, but our coaches have quite similar philosophies in the sense of how can we get the most out of this one person without like killing them with loads of miles? Because Mm. when you get into it, you think I need to be killing it with miles because you see people on social media doing like big miles weeks and you're like, I need to be doing that. my coach is like, no, you you don't, you don't. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for miles. You know, if you're a 5k runner or you're a high level athlete, you know, you're know sub elite, you know, you do need those miles. They do count. You can't just, you can't just wing it. But for where I am, I think sub three, you know, get sub 240, you don't need huge miles. And I know some people are going to disagree with that, but it, it, it's, there's, there's different ways it's going to cut. You can, the way I look at it is like, if you just kill yourself, do all the miles right now, then if you get sub 240, then where else can you go to? So the way that we look at it is like, get the most out of you now, then if you want to go further, say you can get faster than that, then we can at least add the miles on because mm. like, you can't take away because then you've got, if you're running like a hundred mile weeks then where else are you gonna go to, if, especially if you're working full time, your kids and stuff, it's it's too difficult. So what we're trying to do, the basics are just to kind of keep the miles kind of minimal to, to a certain extent. So six days a week, two sessions. And if I could just give a little bit of context. So the idea would be, I'm gonna be working back to uh, just fitness because now I, I can't do any speed because I'm just sort of rehabbing my, my glute in the minute and just uh, taking it easy. But the, the idea is to work to a place where I can build some speed. So we're gonna do some blocks where we can do some speed work. And the idea for the marathon is to work to your target marathon pace and then extend it out. So you build the speed we can do it and then you extend it out. I think a lot of people feel like what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a lot of 5K sort of stuff, training, then I'm gonna jump into my marathon block and then what I'm going to do in my marathon blogs I'm going to try and chase speed or get speed that I haven't got now don't get me wrong you might actually find that naturally happens that you actually get faster and you get that and but for some people it might not happen for me it def- definitely doesn't that work that way if I go chasing something I will end up getting injured or you know you'll have a setback so what works for me is that we try to you know build your speed and then extend it out so And I think that's basically worked for me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the idea of what we're going to be doing to, you know, the London Marathon. But, like, at this stage, I'm not looking too far ahead. I'm just focusing on, you know, respecting the easy runs, respecting the strength work, respecting rest and recovery, you know, all those little bits.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot to be said about that, about sort of taking the narrative away from, like, heavy mileage and like crazy volume and you've got to be doing like north of a hundred if you want to be hitting these times because I think and you know I think you could argue that Strava and, and social media does have a certain part to play in that I think I think there's a lot of value in like making the miles that you can do work for you within your schedule I think mentally there's a lot of there's a lot of value to be to be had in that but I'm interested in in your relationship with your with your coach because to begin with that is a is it a relatively new thing you've started working with a coach or is that something you've done for a couple of years now and when did that come on your radar as something that you wanted to invest in and and what's that relationship being like and and does it continue to grow
1: so initially when i first started running i was just like i'm gonna do it all myself and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do that but you go where you go but you go slower because you're having to learn it and at least you've got someone experienced then you can at least cut out some of the mistakes and just you know just save yourself some time. So and I always initially thought, you know, coaching is isn't for me, it's for elite athletes, it's for someone else. But then I started I got into contact with my coach probably around twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen and yeah, we started working from then. So we've been yeah, since since that time. So it's been a consistent sort of period of time and what does that look like? I mean we he said to be training each week, we have a, a you know, weekly review, we have like contacts and I let him know how the sessions go. And it's funny, like one of the things that, you know, like, when you're first starting running, you feel like things should be a certain way. Like I've got to be this way. I've got to be that way. And one of the things where my coach actually, you know, just to kind of just relax and just let things, you know, sometimes we can look at things in, in absolute minutiae, like if we do not hit a certain training, uh, you know, uh, pace. You think, oh, my gosh, like, the world's going to end. But actually, it's mm. not. If you can go, name me a runner that, you know, has gone a month without having an off run. I mean, if you do, I want to know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't exist. Yeah, it's so right, true. Like, so true. We all think it's someone else. But actually, you know, it's something that's just part of running. And, you know, he's got me to sort of take that on board and just be like, actually, you know, you're, you're here. You know, you're, you're close enough. And, you know, you, you can just take things with a bit more, context really so I think you know working with coach has been really good to you know get the foundations and just learn just to love the sport and just to appreciate it as well I think you know I've got a really good relationship with my coach John and you know he's been on my podcast and we've had some conversations and it's been really funny because like when I did the sub three how to break sub three that was before I did sub three and he's like you know you could do this you could go faster than this I was like Really? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but sometimes you need someone like that just to I'm sure he's not saying it to, to to kind of put false ideas in my head because he's got nothing to gain by doing that. He obviously sees something in me, and sometimes when you have someone that sees something in in you, you think, Okay, cool, why do I not just see what, what happens is believe it? So sometimes when I'm doing my hard sessions am just like, well. John things I can do it so just give myself a chance
0: there's so much strength to be found in that one person actually believing in you and your potential I think that's like yeah. so true of so many things in life it's that one individual that goes no you can do this that is it's like rocket fuel for for motivation and inspiration and you're talking about context then and and not beating yourself up about sessions are there and I can imagine obviously family is a huge part of that but are there other things in your life that allow you to give your running context and to put it into perspective
1: i think it's important as runners not to solely define yourself as a runner i feel even in this covid situation it's been really good to strip away what's actually important and even things like before you might see a runner like oh they've got their gps watch on or you know, they've got their Chicago top on. And I, even though I've got my London top on here, like sometimes you can <laughs> you can be head to toe in like your running gear, but not know your own name and your own value. Mm. So sometimes it's good to sort of take away those things and just think, actually, who am I? What am I about? And I think, you know, this lockdown year has been a really good opportunity to do that. It's been really uncomfortable. I'm not going to make it seem like it's been some sort of vacation where we just singing kumbaya and be like okay daniel (laughs) tell me what your deepest (laughs) goals are
0: i'll get the guitar come on
1: (laughs) yeah but yeah i think yeah this covid year has been really good to sort of strip away why do we run not let running be your everything because i think if it's your everything then you've got everything to lose so
0: yeah definitely and i think like you know covid and injury and things like that can can make you sort of really wrestle with that idea and and in terms of in terms of you out outside of running and i know you said earlier that you're not looking too far ahead in the future but in terms of putting running in, into a context or putting running um you know into a wider picture are there things for you or things that you would like to do going forward to to kind of grow and, and develop yourself and and learn more of your own value like projects that you'd like to do or ideas that you have for for kind of the stuff you put out online
1: yeah so there's the Podcast that I do a runner's life and essentially I'm just it's an opportunity for me to ask people questions that I want to know the answer to myself <laughs> <laughs> dress up as a podcast though no, but that that's not really true but it, it partly is <laughs> but it's from a genuine place so because I actually just love the conversation and it's just finding out you know more about the person behind the runner but to look at other projects I mean last year was quite pivotal with the, the murder of Ahmad Arbery and just the whole black lives matter movement. Mm. I know it's been, it started years back, but in the 2020 version, and I got involved with a group of other runners and we set up uh, an organization called the black child runners. And, you know, we're currently, you know, setting up as a charity and also as a UK athletics run club as well. So the idea is to get people who don't feel like the space belongs to them you know as a part of like the conversation and i know people think oh, that's ridiculous anyone could just get in a trade and go to wherever and do whatever but sometimes people forget like unless you you've seen an example you won't necessarily want to do it like for example i could say to you how many black people do you see skiing rock climbing just like or just in outdoor spaces it's been advertised mm. you know so imagine as 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 a black kid growing up seeing that so you grew up thinking it's not for you so I okay, same sort of thing as we talked about running i guess when i look back I, it wasn't something that was presented as something that i could do you know as much as people go yeah but there's loads of black people running in africa but yeah but i'm not running in africa i'm running in <laughs> london i don't see people yeah. running in marathons in london do you know what i mean that looked mm-hmm. like me so unless you see you know someone that looks like it's hard to kind of grasp and and, and do it so we're just trying to you know open people's eyes to you know feel like the space is for them and ultimately what we want is that the group doesn't actually have to exist in the future that you know people naturally think oh look at their running club they think oh what are we doing to make this welcoming to people that don't look like us i mean i can see you can look at running groups and things like that people aren't necessarily trying to be racist but sometimes people just do what they do and know because they know what they know but they're not really asking the questions of like oh challenging are we actually welcoming to people that don't look like us? Are we making the space available? And it's not just like, here's a train ticket, go to wherever, and here's a race entry, go wherever. If you're the only, it sometimes it's quite hard to be the only person to do that. You know, when I did the ma- the majors, you know, I was probably one of the only black guys I knew in my 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 group running, and I made some great friends, and they're all mostly white. But I don't think, you know when i look at i mean i didn't look at that i think you know there's people that look like me i just did it because i i I was with my friends and we were doing it. but not everyone's going to be like that Mm. you know some people will need a wider community to do certain things and that's not a bad thing it shouldn't be like oh you know you should pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just do it people forget like sometimes we can get lost in this whole i'm gonna pretend it but the whole kind of thing like you know it's a self-made thing or it's down to you and the way that you know your your drive but sometimes like you could take for example you could take two athletes and i was like speaking to joe gray on my podcast it's going to come out soon and he was giving an example of another black athlete that was really talented he said it's more talented than him and he said this guy had was grown up in a really racist part of the country and had like just less opportunities and it made him question like you know people that helped him and his you know his life and sometimes people think oh it's down to me and I, my drive but actually no it's not someone probably invested something in, in you and unless you you show me someone that you know was born you know left their mum went just you know, started talking about you know what mum I'm, I'm good i'm gonna work myself down i'm gonna eat i'm, I'm gonna move to my new house straight away <laughs> Do you know what I mean? mm-hmm. no one does that you know from birth we were all helped along the way as much as we like to think you know it's all down to our sort of our stuff that's just ego talking no one does it themselves and you've got to bear in mind like you know if you didn't get that that help growing up you know it, it, it's hard and some people don't realize that they've got it because that's just their privilege unfortunately mm-hmm. um and that's i know we're going to one topic, but that is what we're trying to do in in black china's in terms of just trying to make people who don't feel like they're seen or represented feel like a normal part of the conversation and this is not just in running but you know hopefully it extends wider and we're just doing our small part you know in the wider conversation of race and <laughs> everyone's got a role you've got a role it's not just for me to to to, speak, to preach to you you've got a role as well you know in terms of being an ally because if we don't all make it up our, in our, our problem then nothing changes
0: absolutely absolutely and you know look, looking at the work that you've done with the black trail runners is 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 really impressive and i think you're right it's about not zeroing in on the individual but looking at the at the wider the wider implication and forcing yourself to have uncomfortable conversations and forcing yourself to to put yourself in situations where you're having a dialogue that you might find uncomfortable but ultimately the overarching goal is is going to benefit both of the people in in the discourse and there's real value in that and i think you're right it's it's about looking at the wider systemic you know intrinsic um, racism and and issues that surround us as a culture and I think there's there's way more work to be to be done and you're right it is everyone's responsibility and you were talking earlier about you know not seeing representation across sports like in advertising for example and and do you think there or are there actionable bits of not advice, but things that you would like to see from like the major stakeholders in the sport that they can do to help change that um, as well? Are there, are there things that you would like to see, like the the brands or or the events or, or the, the yeah the the kind of the gatekeepers as it were of the sport of running, as we if we use that as an example? Are there things that you think that are actionable for them to do to help improve that?
1: so much for that question and I'm just trying to think how to best answer it I think dealing with racism it's been a generational question that's not been fully addressed so I don't want to be arrogant enough to say that it's these steps that are going to lead to this change but I can give mm. some sort of thoughts and just to take a, a sidestep as well the conversation for all sides is uncomfortable you no know, on one side you've got white people that will say I don't want to say the wrong thing mm. I'm not racist so I don't want to get in that conversation. And then you've got black people on the side like me, and be like, just because I'm black, doesn't mean I'm more comfortable talking about race than than you are. Mm-hmm. You know, we're both got to come at it together and just be like, okay, we're probably gonna say something wrong or slightly offensive or whatever, but we shouldn't be penalized for saying it. And until you have those conversations, nothing happens. It's like doing a training run for running, you know, <laughs> your sessions I mean you don't get faster without doing the work I mean if we just jogged away to <laughs> all our runs and suddenly made these amazing runs you know performances for marathons it would be easy but it's not like that you've got to put the work in. you've got to put the juice in to to get the results so it's a little bit like that and the real changes really are society-wide I mean generationally <laughs> I mean there needs to be seismic changes for things to happen Know, but on a local level, that can be quite overwhelming for people who think, Oh my gosh, but I'm not in that position, so I can't do anything. So, but on a local level, I I would just suggest people just to look at where you are and do the best of what you can. So, if you're in your running club and you're thinking, Okay, what does the the demographic look like here? I mean, are we welcoming to people that in the local area that may not look like me? What can we do to encourage diversity? Mm. Those sort of things. If you look at your the races that you go into, and you see, you know, just the the demographic people. I mean, obviously, we're in the UK, so you know, most people will be white. I mean, that's that's not a given. I mean, you're not going to make it, you know, more than that. But I think you want to see representation. I think, essentially, on the local level, I just want to focus on just doing what you can. So, for example, with well, us at Runners, it's just a group of people that have come together and thought, okay, how can we, you know, work together. And then in doing that, we've got a community. And then in doing that, we're trying to add value to, you know, provide skills and representation. And, enjoy. I mean, it, then it sort of builds and mm. then you get your white allies involved and then that helps and then that builds. So it's just you know, little bits that all help. So I don't want to, we could have a massive conversation about the bigger changes which need to be done. And that could be a whole yeah. like podcast itself. But I just mm. want to focus on what people can do right now. Like, for example, like we started this group but it doesn't mean that it's because it's titled black china it doesn't mean that you're as a white person are not invited to be mm. part of that party you are we want you there we want you to be an ally we want you to be helping us make it a normal part of conversation you know we don't want to be at the events when like oh there's a black person doing this we're like we want to be like oh we want it to seem like a normal part of conversation you know when i do my podcast i'm not introducing it as like oh i'm a black runner it's more like this is a runner's life and I'm trying to describe what a runner's life is. And that's so uniform to so many different people and so many people can relate to it. And that's what we want to be. You want it to be a normal part of the conversation. So when kids are looking at it, they feel like they are represented, that they are seen. Um, and obviously people now as adults as well. So we just want to kind of change that that narrative, but starting from where you are and, and making those changes and, and not trying to focus too much on the bigger changes, you know, in terms of like, you know financial sort of stuff and i mean we could really go down that but it's it that that is more so outside of like the control of most people
0: mm. and that i think that's is so such uh so many things to unpick from that response there but i think it's also a, a really bit of actionable advice for people listening as well as to focus on the immediate like the here and now like what can you actively do within your own realm of of power but like what can you actively change within your own environment like it's a really um really strong thing to to take away from that and i think It's just important to keep this dialogue going. Like we had no idea that we were going to go down this path in this conversation, but I value it and like really appreciate you like allowing me to enter this discourse. And I think there's there's so much more to be said on this. Yeah, you're right. I think it's like a it's a whole other podcast series. Like it's a box set. Do you know what I mean? There's so much to unpick. But I think for people listening to, to to think about what is actionable immediately within their own lives, if that could be one thing that they could take away, I think that's that's a really great thing indeed. And I think I feel like that's a nice note for for us to end the conversation on, like, giving that little bit of uh, incentive to to people listening to just to just to consider at the at the basis level, I think.
1: But um, so can I just add one more thing to that? Sorry, I don't just make it seem just like what are you doing for black people? I think it's, it's, a, it's a sense of like, what are you doing for your community? So literally, that is a question you you ask yourself. How could I be of service to my community? How can I mm-hmm. make my environment a better place? That is it.
0: Yeah, no, 100 percent. What can you do for your community? And that does feel like a really like powerful note to end it on. Marcus, thank you. Thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate this conversation and, and for you coming on and being such a, a brilliant guest on The Big Run. Thank you so much, man.
1: No worries. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been a great to talk to
0: you. Big thank you to Marcus for coming on. You can follow him on Instagram at The Marathon Marcus. You can find out more about the Black Trail Runners at blacktrailrunners.run. The website is linked in today's show notes. And there's also a podcast called The Checkpoint, which is well worth checking out. If you want to check out my own running as I slowly resuscitate my fitness back to life after two months of injury, you can follow me on Instagram at Dannyruns.sum. And as always, if you're able to, get out there and get running. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.